Hi guys, Jessica here, just popping in at the beginning to give you a quick update. I'm re-uploading this episode with a quick message to let you know that we recorded this episode earlier in the week before the tragic events that occurred on the set of the movie Rust, where the cinematographer uh, Halia Hutchins was killed in a gun-related accident that's very similar to what happened uh, on The Crow that we discuss in this interview with Morpheus. We don't go into great detail about Brandon Lee's death, but we do discuss the circumstances. So I wanted to let you guys know that that is in this episode. We I think once again, we discussed all this and recorded this episode before those tragic events. Our thoughts and prayers are with the families of people who have lost a loved one, with the director who is still recovering, and with the entire cast and crew of Rust. Um, and just a note that on-set safety is a serious issue. This is why IATSE is fighting for better working conditions for crew members. And if you want to learn more about that fight, it's really important to check it out. And we support all crews and the idea that there shouldn't be live ammunition or blanks on sets anymore. Too many people have lost their lives and it's just not safe. So with that in mind, thank you for listening. And here's the rest of the episode. Thank you. Greetings, little one. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Bad witch! I'm not a witch, I'm your wife! What makes you think she's a witch? Well, she turned me into a newt! A newt. What's thou like to live deliciously? Got better. Dost thou comprehend? Welcome to Real Magic the podcast at the crossroads of real witchcraft and Hollywood magic, where paganism and the supernatural meet their reflections in movies and television, and where we talk about what real magical or life lessons we can learn from fictional witches from 100 years of moving pictures. I'll let you mine, pretty, and your little dog, too. <laughs> hey there, witches and weirdos. It's Jessica, and it's another episode of Real Magic. Thank you for joining me today in spooky season. I'm so excited to have you here, and I'm so excited to talk about one of my favorite October movies, and this is an October movie because it is set on and around Devil's Night, the day before Halloween, and yes, my goth friends, we are talking about The Crow. This movie was foundational to me as a teen, and just... (laughs) A lot of my personality, maybe more than I'm comfortable with, came from this movie in the 90s, and I just am so excited to talk about it with our guest today. And that guest is Morpheus Ravenna. Morpheus is a tattoo artist. She's a pagan polytheist author, spirit worker, and she's dedicated of the Morrigan. And she's the author of an amazing book called The Book of the Great Queen, published in 2015. It is an amazing book about the Morrigan. And so we got her on. I had to ask her to talk about something, maybe Morgan adjacent and The Crow is where we ended up. So I'm so excited to talk about really one of my favorite movies that I'm a giant nerd about and have been a nerd about for a long time. So please enjoy this awesome talk with Morpheus. It goes all over the place, not just The Crow, but all sorts of other movies. I hope you enjoy it. And if you don't, tell you later. Happy Samhain, happy Halloween. People once believed that when someone dies, a crow carries their soul the land of the dead. But sometimes, something so bad happens that a terrible sadness is carried with it and the soul can't rest. Then sometimes, just sometimes, the crow can bring that soul back to put the wrong things right. 
All right, welcome Morpheus Ravenna to the Real Magic Podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Um, I want you to know that I have quite a few friends. Will be they'll be fangirling over this. Uh, we had a book club about your amazing book, The Book of the Great Queen, <laughs> and so it is. You know, the definitive, I'd say, work on the Morrigan right now. It's really amazing. Thank you so much. It's it's great to be here. When you said you'd be agreed to be on the podcast, I was brainstorming. Okay, what will be a good movie to talk with? an expert on the Morrigan about, and I thought, well, death and Corvids, let's talk about the crow. Because <laughs> I yeah. sense you might've been like a tiny goth in the nineties. Like I was. I definitely was. I was definitely obsessed with that movie for a while. Um, yeah. It, it was an era. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, the, it was the moment as the kids say nowadays. Like before we get into the crow, though, I like to ask, like, what was like the first magical movie that like entranced you as a kid? Like a movie that made you believe in magic? Ooh, oh, that's a good one. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not actually sure how to answer that. Like, I, <laughs> it, it might have been more about books for me. Yeah, that's um, a popular answer too. People are like, it was books. I'm like, oh, you're, yeah, all these people was, who read actually, things. <laughs> raised without television until I was an adolescent oh wow like we didn't have a television in the house until I was 13 um and we did go you know see movies but that's like in the theater very occasionally and so um my my early time was a lot more about books okay (laughs) it's like a book nerd was there like a book series that I do remember um the Black Cauldron yeah. series really oh affecting God. me a lot. Um, yeah. Just, you know, also the idea a terrible, like... a terrible movie. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Um, yeah. Like I remember just the idea of these sort of otherworldly creatures and powers. And I was really kind of struck by that. And, and I, I must have read some stuff about witchcraft too, because I, I I did kind of start imagining myself as a witch and sort of play acting what that might mean at a young age. Yeah, yeah. I one of the series that was like instrumental for me was the Song of the Lioness Quartet, the Alana books by Tamora Pierce. It's about like a girl who dresses up as a boy to become a knight. And oh yeah, that, someone recommended those to me. And they're fantastic, and they're set in the society. It's like they have a mother goddess and like a dark god and a god called Mithras. So it's kind of pagan. And the second book's yeah. called In the Hand of the Goddess. So like that was one of the first things that like got me like goddess stuff. It was yeah. awesome. <laughs> they're great books, and Tamora Pierce is still writing and. She's really cool. If we're talking yeah. about the crow today, so. <laughs> do you remember the first time you like became aware of the crow or saw it? Um, I do remember seeing it in the theater with my best friend. Um, I was, you know, tiny goth best friends with another tiny goth. Oh yeah, uh, girl. We both, you know, changed our names and we were, you know, experimenting with, I guess, you know, adopting different kinds of identities. Um. You know, it was all about the black boots and <laughs> black boots. The, boots. I owned like the, the I, had, I had so many uncomfortable pairs of boots, just like I had so many blisters. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. Think the crow became like the defining mo- mo- movie of sort of like it was sort of like the first crossover into mainstream of sort it sort of set up what goth was and it was a crossover 
into the mainstream. And it was just, it was such, it's such an atmospheric movie. And it's such like yeah. a, I mean, it is the ultimate goth movie, I'd say. The ultimate spooky season movie. It is. It's a whole vibe. So, you know, it like there's the character of the crow, but also the whole movie kind of, it, 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 it occupies a, or it, it sort of adopts an aesthetic um, and a mood. It's a mood. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I never saw this in the theater. I was like 11 when it came out, so I was just on the edge there. So I but I remember being aware of it and I was aware of it because of the tragedy behind the movie. It was so famous. Yeah, because- you'll have to remind me. I know there's like all this stuff about like is the movie cursed? One of the actors died or something? Yeah, so Brandon Lee was killed yes. on set. Yeah. Yeah. They were only had a few days left of filming and it was like 8 days before his wedding. And so he, um, what was, what happened was one of the actor who played fun boy, uh, Michael Mann, I think he, uh, shot a, what was a, what he believed was a blank at Brandon Lee. And it was blank, but there was piece of debris stuck in the chamber. And so blanks like usually fire twice as much gunpowder and no projectile. So it was twice as much gunpowder and it, hit through you know it shot a projectile and Brandon yeah. Lee was he he tragically died um following that and so the movie was finished like you'll notice when you watch the movie the first 20 minutes you like it's very artsy the way it's shot like you don't see a lot of Eric's face yeah and there's a lot of kind of you know questionable special effects and that's because that was his stunt double yeah, someone and was he, standing like, in so they couldn't do the face as yeah. much. But yeah. they finished the film like as a tribute to him because he was so incredible in this role. And it was sort of, you know, there's talk about curses because his father, Bruce Lee, you know, also died quite young as well. Yeah. The story itself, like James O'Barr, who wrote the original graphic novel, like he wrote it from a, coming from a place of loss and tragedy because he lost his girlfriend in a pretty tragic way. And so was him kind of working through that. And so there's a lot of sadness behind the scenes in this movie. And I think it translates on screen the way that's really, I think, profound and turns it into something beautiful. Yeah, that 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 has to be part of why it was so appealing to kind of the, the gothic sensibility. And, and I know like in, in adolescence, I, I feel like that whole experience was very bound up with like, tragic sensibilities and and you know we like to sort of laugh at ourselves in retrospect but those feelings in in that you know time of our lives at least for me were very real and um i i feel like we sort of you know worked through that by by shape-shifting into into that in a vis- in a visible way and that was part of the goth aesthetic for, at least yeah. for me <laughs> yeah it's like by kind of becoming the sort of darkness and embracing it, it becomes less scary and tragic if you're part of it already. Yeah. Um, this is sort of unrelated to the crow, but like one of the, the myths that I sort of felt, um, I don't know if you'd say guided by, or felt like I was experiencing or, or felt that I identified with in that time of my life was Medusa. Mm. And um, I read a, a version of her story by C.S. Lewis, and, and it talks about how, like, 
she, you know, her face was transformed into this monstrous, you know, visage. She, she was, became the Gorgon. Um, and, and initially she was ashamed of it and she wore a mask mm. so that no one would see that she had become this monstrous being until one day she was like looking down into a well and the mask fell off and she saw her own face and really looked at herself and um, from that point decided not to wear a mask anymore and to kind of fully occupy this, you know, darker self that she'd become. Um, at least that's that's my memory of, of the story as it was told um, in that book. And and I really identified with that and, and you know, it, that sensibility sort of was part of my my experience at that time in my life. Yeah. For me, the thing that I identified with a lot in The Crow was I was really into like these kind of dark Gothic love stories. It was like this love beyond death, like mm-hmm. Bra- Bram Stoker's Dracula or um, this. And, you know, I guess not really Beetlejuice, but that's sort of about, about people's relationships, just not a romantic one transcending death. And um, I just love that idea of like, oh, love is stronger than death. And that's yeah. sort of like, I always found this movie weirdly romantic. Like, oh, you know, it's, he's so nice, so sweet. He comes back from the dead to avenge her murder, like couples goals, but you know, not a healthy couple go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because um, like from an adult and more feminist perspective, yeah. you're, you can be like, well... <laughs> Maybe she should have avenged her own death. <laughs> it's kind of a refrigerator narrative. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, they, but they both end up, you know, they're, they're, is, it, yeah. is it fridging if they're both dead? Like, right. Hmm. Like, is it? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, certainly the like, I must avenge my dead wife's or dead lover's death is, you know, that type of thing. Yeah, is, quite a trope. Like, it, it is. And, you know, these days I have maybe just seen too much of it. But when The Crow came out, I didn't think about it that way. And I, you know, I did sort of, I did love that sort of that mood of, of love and the threshold of death, you mm-hmm. know? And I mean, I like that part of the movie is about him kind of making up for leaving, for dying and helping the people that were left behind and kind of trying to make their lives a little bit better and saying that he, you know, he's only there temporarily but he will sort of make an impact on Sarah and Albrecht. And it's, you know, that's sort of nice until the sequel. When yeah. we'll, we'll talk about that terrible, terrible sequels. You no, know, I'm actually not sure I saw the sequel. You're so lucky. I don't really, like, if I did, I must have, like, dropped it from the memory files. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, oh, we'll talk about it now then. So there are several sequels to The Crow because it was such a phenomenon, but it yeah. is a perfectly self-contained story. Like, you know, yeah, and sometimes era- you just can't keep capitalizing yeah. on it. <laughs> yeah. And so they're like, well, okay, well, the whole idea of the, st- of the story is that like people come back from the dead to avenge horrible things. And so the first sequel they made was called the Crow City of Angels with Vincent Perez and Mia Kirshner. And she plays Sarah grown up and it's set in Los Angeles. Maybe I did. Did I set- see it? And I totally forgot. <laughs> and it's set during Day of the Dead and like Iggy Pop is in it. And it's just, I am, um, being a giant nerd, I had like the box set of all the Crow movies back in the day, the DVD box set. And so I listened to the uh, director's commentary on this movie. And um, 
I'm trying to remember who the director is. IMDb it right now, but it's this, it's really an honest commentary because he's like, yeah, like they made us cut this. There was this whole scene here because it's the movie is edited to death. It's put through this filter, so it looks like a cat peed on the negative. It's very yellow. <laughs> it's very yellow. Like this movie, the original, like the original crow is so atmospheric, it's almost black yeah. and white. Yeah, yeah. And it's very like, monochrome. Like, Let's do a filter and make this whole movie look like pee. <laughs> And it's it's more violent, more sexual. Like there's a lot of like people in like BDSM clubs and it just doesn't work. And there's sort of this like the Crow character, I have to find this now, directed by Tim Pope, who didn't do much after this, uh, who was a music video director. But the, the Crow character named Ash Corvin. So once again, uh-huh. they're going with like the really punny names. Yeah, yeah. Um, he like him and his son are killed by like some gang people. And so because he's not his girl, it's not his girlfriend, he kind of has this like romantic connection with Sarah, who's this like tattoo artist and sort of recognizes what's going on. And then of course, like she dies by the end, like with him. And it's very sad and tragic. It's like, okay, well, that wouldn't make Eric happy. So, so it's a weird, weird movie. And then they made two more movies. Really? They I made, had no idea. Yeah. They made one with Kirsten Dunst and um, Eric Mobius, who like played me, Kirstner's boyfriend in The L Word. So it's very weird. They were both in Crow sequels and then they were boyfriend, girlfriend of The L Word until she realized she was gay. And it was like a, about a guy who was wrongly convicted of murder. So mm-hmm. he, he got the Crow marks because like he had, he was, it's an electric chair or something, and they had this mask on him, and very violent. Huh. And it was it was actually interesting because he didn't know who had actually done the murder that he was convicted of, so it was a mystery. Yeah, and that worked. And the, but then there was a truly horrible version called "The Crow Wicked Prayer" with David Boreanaz and Dennis Hopper, and the kid who was in Terminator Two. It's like one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> and like they're trying to actually summon the devil and tara reed is there for some reason it is wow really deranged and bad <laughs> so but me being like a fangirl completist in the you have movies, to watch them all i had yeah. to watch all of them and it's just like <laughs> oh man i wish this was good and then do you did you ever watch the tv series what no there's a tv series okay so this wow. is i can be a giant nerd here I missed out on a lot, and I guess you picked me to talk about a topic that I don't know much about. We'll, we'll get to your area of expertise in a second. <laughs> this is like my nerd yeah. galaxy brain. So this is fun trivia, though. So the TV series is called the, uh, the Crow Stairway to Heaven, and it also told like Eric Draven's story. It went back to the Eric Draven character, but he like the tagline was, "It's not about revenge; it's about redemption." So he was back, mm-hmm. but he had to kind of keep doing good deeds to like free Shelly's soul and free his soul. And when he, like, he would like transform into the crow and the makeup would show off. Um, and it was one season it was syndicated and it was pretty good. And like, there was even like a female crow that showed up. Mm-hmm. But the great thing was the lead actor who played Eric was Mark DeCascos, who you may know as the chef from Iron Chef or the chairman from Iron Chef America. Oh, oh. He's, like, he's been in a lot of stuff. He's been in like, I think he was in John Wick. He was in like Hawaii Five O a lot. Wow. Great 
um, uh, martial arts performer and actor. Uh-huh. He's really talented. He, he, his family's from Portland, Oregon, where I live. So like he was at some weird competition signing autographs. So my friend and I, once again, teenagers like went to see some like taekwondo competition because the guy from the crow was there this was like before he was on iron chef and he was very nice and he like signed a picture for us and he's like nice. i don't know if we'll get season two it was a really big they never did but it was a big cliffhanger on season one <laughs> but yeah so i think one of the reasons people talk about the franchise the movie being cursed is that they've had so many failures to like create sequels and, good came after it and they've been trying to like reboot it or remake it for like 10 years and like jason momoa was attached like oh someone I, could, else. I could see that i could yeah, see that like, but there have been some other like weird actors attached to it and it just never gets past the development phase yeah i mean you know like the 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 sort of bones that you can build these stories on um in the crow or or it's like a meditation on that very classic theme of you know a dead person that can't rest because yeah. there's an injustice that needs to be made right right so like yeah it's a ghost story but yeah like, but that's it's a superhero a really ghost really deep folklore theme and you can build a lot of stories onto that and and uh i i can see why they would they would feel like they're you know that there's space to kind of keep telling stories in that genre and that the the persona of the crow could be so many you know people yeah. with their own story yeah because like they come back to it so many different times you know and the they've tried to because it's it you know on paper it's like yeah this is great you could tell all sorts of different yeah stories but it <laughs> and you know people don't get tired of that theme right and yeah. like I, look I, at john wick or something like that like People like those revenge stories. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, because our, like the overculture, you're not supposed to believe in ghosts or spirits. Oh, yeah. Um, but a lot of people still have experiences or some sense that that there's something there. And so I feel like we have to process this stuff as fiction, as, you know, movie narratives, because we're not, you know, in the overculture, not speaking of pagans, of course, yeah. not allowed to kind of experience it as real in our in our individual lives. Like we can't, you know, have earnest stories about interacting like mainstream movies can't really have like earnest stories about interacting with spirits or with the dead. Um, you can have kids movies or fantasy movies or lots of horror movies, but you can't. Yeah, or like for an individual person, if you think that that you experienced something you know, p- people will be very scared to talk about it to people in their lives because of this idea of like, you know, you're somehow naive or ignorant or gullible if you think something actually happened. And so I feel like, you know, people turn to to fiction narratives to process this stuff. Yes. And I think that's even bigger when we talk about like our experience of the gods or divinity, like there's you know, on this podcast, I talk about paganism and it's always about depictions of pagans or witches. Very rarely do we have an instance where somebody in Hollywood has tried to depict the gods or even concepts the gods represent. And if they try, it's usually terrible. It often is. Yeah. As much as I love the original Clash of the Titans. (laughs) (laughs) We could, I mean, we could talk about American (laughs) gods because that is a really interesting yeah example of but 
I think, you know, to kind of relate this to your area of expertise, like there's never been in a movie that I know of an attempt to like show and the personification of the Morrigan who is your heir, but like, you I know, feel like <laughs> I went looking, I went looking and there are very few. Yeah. Um, the, the show lost girl has a character. Oh, yeah. That is a character that exists. She's not. <laughs> oh boy. That show. It's, yeah. you know, it's like, it's, it's barely recognizable as the Morrigan yeah. or anybody that's kind of steeped in the actual Irish context. Yeah. yeah. Um, she's kind of like this, like wicked fairy queen kind of yeah. character. Um, oh yeah. That show. And like the, the, in, the, in the final season, like there's like Greek gods in there and it's just, I mean, a mess. I loved a lot of part of that show. It was so gay and the people were so pretty but it was such a mess. <laughs> yeah, I haven't made it all the way through. I watched a few seasons of it. Just, you know, like I have a genre of bubblegum yeah. stuff that I'll yeah. watch in the background while I'm working on art or whatever. And so I, I was like, oh, I'll give this a try. It has a bunch of supernatural creatures in it. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, it's um, very pretty. Like you don't need to have the sound on. Because <laughs> <laughs> like in the final season, like there's literally episodes where my wife and I watched every episode of the show because she loved it because she shipped Bo and Lauren a lot, the, uh-huh. like the two main gals. And like, there's this episode that was so incomprehensible. Like, wait, what just happened? We paused and rewound because like the scene made no sense. I'm like, did they lose a page? Like, <laughs> it was so. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you know, it. There's a there's a a type of television writing with shows that you know are episodic and just going on and yeah. on, where like they. I feel like they sort of have taken to heart the the concept that you know you need a conflict in order to have a story mm-hmm. and so they'll just sort of take characters and be like well these characters are going to be having a conflict this this episode because we need a conflict and and it doesn't matter if their positions line up with their overall motivations yeah. as a character but we just need them to fight yeah <laughs> they'll look pretty doing it. it'll be fine but but so like in that vein like there really hasn't been much of like, you know, the Celtic pantheon is not a great word for it, but Celtic stories online. But I feel like yeah. The Crow is like a movie that the Morrigan would like. Like <laughs> there's a lot of Corvids. There's a lot of like vengeance. <laughs> there's showing up in a lot of different masks. And so I feel like. Yeah, shape-shifting. Sort of, you're shape-shifting. That. There's some magic. There's, you know, working with the spirits of the dead there's there's some red filters in there there's some (laughs) and so like I feel like this movie kind of resonates overall with like that vibe like it's a similar vibe almost yeah and well certainly like the the aesthetic is something that a lot of you know a lot of practitioners associate with her even though Mm -hmm. it's it's not necessarily uh related to Irish tradition in any real way like the gothiness is a very like modern you know way of relating to her um I personally don't really think of her so much as as somebody I would associate with vengeance but I think that maybe the most relevant piece is the idea of the unsettled dead yeah exactly you know like Like she definitely is engaged with them in the you know Irish literature and the source tradition yeah and she is you know a guide and so like throughout this movie he is guided by a corvid which is one of the 
you know, the Raven and the Corvid is very associated with the Morrigan. So yeah. Yeah. And one this, of her forms that she, yeah, she though, it would, into. would have been really badass if she'd showed up as like a red cow with like one leg <laughs> Or, oh, <laughs> another worldly horse with one leg with yeah the, it's the one leg yeah, the sticking right through her that's i think i <laughs> talked about this with when courtney weber was on like that is my like for those who don't know what, what the hell we're talking about like can you explain <laughs> this is from yes. the epic of kukulain where he meets um he's he, he, kukulain like he goes out of his house naked in the morning and then <laughs> yeah so it's a story called the Tynebo Ragavna. Um, which is it's in the genre of like cattle raid stories <clears throat> and um he's woken up by this sort of unearthly scream and goes running out um because you know his job is to protect the land so he's like what's happening um and he meets this very dramatic looking woman on the road very dramatic yeah and so she's described as having red hair and red eyebrows and a long red cloak that is so long it drags behind her on the ground so she's all in red which is like a signal you know it's one of these themes in irish literature that this is an otherworldly creature you know this is not a normal person um and and uh and she has a a horse that is yoked to a chariot um and the and the horse is also red and has one leg and i think one eye and the chariot pole you know that it's yoked to instead of being on either side of the horse it's just a one pole going straight through its forehead it's the most like upsetting image it's like the horror version of like the wizard of oz scene where there's like the horse of a different color that keeps changing color it's like like nightmare like a nightmare yeah (laughs) And she then she has this poetic contest with like Cuchulain and they kind of it, it's a it's a type of encounter that shows up in Irish mythology yeah. if you in a few places where it's sort of like a um it's like a cryptic ritualized um argument. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's sort of a one upmanship. Like, yeah, like it's 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 the Celtic version of, a, of like a rap battle like they have it's very like they're spitting poetry at each other like yeah, insulting each other and like how I'm gonna how you're gonna die and how you're you know it's it's fabulous and you know her as a patron of artists also kind of connects to the crow because he's a musician he, he like before battle he's like up there on the on the roof playing the guitar as the city's on fire like that's my favorite oh yeah I forgot about that oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so I just feel like we don't have a lot of Morrigan on screen, but if we're looking for something that kind of gets her vibe, you know, the crow is not not too bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I think that people who are fond of her have to sort of look for... <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot. Yeah. There is um, in the show Motherland Fort Salem. Have you watched that? I have not. I, I sort of didn't want to watch it because I was like, hmm witches doing stuff on like as a military like that seems weird and nationalistic and icky <laughs> they kind of like get into that like it definitely something they? the show is cognizant of especially later in the second season like what you know how militarism and that sort of thing is is bad they're yeah pretty, i mean like for me I, I feel like you know witchcraft is sort of for punching up <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know it's like the 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 what the oppressed turn to when they don't have social power so like for me it was hard to square the idea of 
like a military thing. So I, I just, mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't, I didn't know how they'd be addressing it, but it didn't, it didn't appeal yeah. to me. Um, at one point, a character uh, who is not one of the militarized, which is she's sort of like a terrorist, which she uses uh-huh. a spell she calls the Morrigan's whisper. And it's like, she uses crows to like control people's actions. And so oh, okay. But it's like, I like, I'm like, okay, all right. You, you, you have a crow in there. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is interesting to me why, like, there's a lot of figures from Irish myth that would be very cinematic and for some reason are not, you know, picked up on by Hollywood. I, I think, I mean, I, and I'm on the record, I've written about this and talked about this before, like, why why is there not a Kukulain movie? It's like, he's like the Hulk. Uh, yeah, like, I know. And it's like, you know, I go back and forth about it because I love those stories. I love them so much. Um, You know, the Morrigan stories, Cuchulain's, you know, stories. This is material is very dear to me. And I would love to see a really beautiful, like lushly produced epic, you know, treatment of them. But I also am not really sure I trust Hollywood to do that in a way that's not going to make me super mad. (laughs) True. That's always like. That's always like I want risk. someone like, to fund a really good Irish production company to do. Yeah, and I want it as know, a, a series, not a movie, because it's yeah, like there's, there's so much so to like be much there. And like and and like I want it to like I want them to like lean into because basically like Colin, he's got like a boyfriend that he has to eventually like who ends up on the other side that he has it's to fight. so much queer it's, drama it's like so oh much my boyfriend God. drama it's very yes. like achilles and patroclus level of like absolutely yes yes and it's yeah it's 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 great and it's so i mean that is the other thing like hollywood if they got a hold of kuholan's story they would yeah. probably unqueer him which yeah. would also make us really mad <laughs> make me very very mad um because i don't think like people you know, would look at that like, oh, it's like Irish warriors and there, you know, and he like literally, as I mentioned, like he, he goes into like, was it the the war, the warp? Warp spasm. Is warp one spasm. Of the We're like his English phrases I, that's used for that. Yeah. Again, it's like the descriptions of this are so upsetting <laughs> like the way they describe like his feet yeah. turn the wrong way and his yeah it's very turns. monstrous and yeah. and um monstrous and kind of otherworldly you know yeah it's yeah and you know he as a character I feel like there's a lot of um treatment of him as hyper masculine but if you actually read the material it's the opposite of that he's described over and over again as being um very beautiful and um even feminine or or like delicate featured um that he doesn't have a beard and sometimes people don't want to take him seriously because and so he paints a beard on with like grass or berry juice yeah. there's you know and then there's all of the queerness yeah and um, what, like what one of the reasons he fights in this conflict is he he's on the ulster side and they are cursed by one of the aspects of the morgan yeah, to like Maka's suffer curse. yeah maka's curse which they out oh, they totally deserved it for but the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they have labor pains. And so, yeah. but because he's not yet let yet attained a certain level of like manhood, he's not subject to it. And so yeah, he's that's like one of the explanations. There's yeah. a few different versions for why he okay. isn't subject to that curse. But yeah, that is one of them that he's too young. He's not fully a man. Yeah. And so like that's very interesting. And there's there's queerness there because he doesn't quite fit into like 
their literal toxic masculinity that they're getting punished for by having labor pains. Yeah. You know, there's, there's some scholars that actually have been doing some really fascinating work around like trans readings of Kuholan as a trans masculine character. Um, And, you know, obviously we, it's hard to say like (laughs) transness is, is not necessarily language that medieval people would have used. We don't know what they really thought, but, but it's, you know, it's certainly a reading that you can find a lot of um, handholds for in the material. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a very different understanding of like gender and sexuality, both in these stories that, I mean, they had, they had a very different perspective on it than we do as like, as you would expect, they, you know, thousand years ago in Ireland and yeah and you know even occasionally you'll see little bits of material um in in the literature that suggests that some of the gods might have been less fixed in their gender Mm -hmm. than than what we tend to assume yeah like you know the Morgan she has various forms she's transformational she's about journeys and so that is very resonant with yeah that yeah and and by um she definitely like has some behaviors that that display a level of casualness about gender norms (laughs) um and there's a character bov jarig who um is framed as male in in the stories in which he appears but there is you know some 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 scholarship sort of points to like it, it might be possible to read him as like a gender variant like a version of of Bive um mm-hmm. as a as a male character that's all very kind of speculative and and uncertain but you know that that ambiguity is there in the material yeah and uh, a few months ago we had a uh, Siri Vincent Pluff on to talk about Loki and the North Pantheon <laughs> and that Pantheon is also very queer like yes. Odin and Loki are yes. also and even Thor like they again had very different ideas of gender and you know <laughs> Siri talked yeah. about how like people t- you know basically call Odin a bottom <laughs> at one point. Uh-huh. Yeah. And yeah. so I think that you know we come at these narratives and these mythologies from a very limited perspective thinking like oh they're from the past they had to have been less progressive than us. It's like no no the progress is pro- <laughs> Our right. attitudes and have been a pendulum. What that's really a about arc. is the lenses with which we're viewing these these stories and 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 this material like we are always looking at it from the perspective of our contemporary set of you know cultural assumptions um and so there's a lot of projecting our own ideas backwards onto the material and kind of seeing that in it yeah (laughs) let's bring this back to the crow i guess like yeah like you mentioned like looking (laughs) at it you know now we see like oh is that a woman in the refrigerator and for those who don't know that term um, the term woman, the refrigerator refers to a woman who is killed for the point of advancing a male narrative. It came from a Green Lantern comic where literally he came home and his wife was in a refrigerator and like her, yeah. you know, a woman whose sole purpose is to die to motivate a male character. And when you look at the yeah. crow, yeah, I mean, it does meet the textbook definition, but again, it was like 1994. It was sort of, I think it even probably came before that Green Lantern comic right, but came out. The- we weren't really thinking about it in that way. Yeah. And so like you look at it like, okay, we can look at it as a love story or we can look at it as like, you know, pretty not so feminist or it could be both because things can be different. Many yeah. things. Yeah. I mean, it's, 
you know, it's, it's often very complicated, like, mm-hmm. you know, some, something isn't necessarily like either feminist or not. <laughs> yeah. And with like interacting with the mythology uh, in, as a way to interact with the gods or looking at a movie, it's not so much like the individualized pieces of the story that are important. It is the overall, like you said, like the vibe, it's the feeling, it's the overall, the sum of it, it's greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. And it's, it's also a lot of it is in like how we interact with it and what, what we take from it, how, how it, you know, what it, what it, um, what it lights up for us in our own sets of experiences. Exactly. It's a signpost on the way. It's not the entire journey. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So did you own the Crow soundtrack? In the nineties, that was one of my. I probably did. Wasn't there some Nine Inch Nails or something in See it? Some Nine Inch Nails. There was yeah. like the Cure on yeah. there. I, I was really into Nine Inch Nails and the Cure at that time. That that was definitely my vibe. I feel like that was like right around the time when I first started buying music. You know, like remember when we bought? I music remember my very CDs? first <laughs> CD, which was Nine Inch Nails, Pretty Hate Machine. Oh, you kids these days, you don't understand. <laughs> We had to ask our mom to take us we to the mall. We had to go to the mall. <laughs> had to go to Tower Records and yes. get these CDs. And they were packaged in a way that, like, you know, there are banks with worse security than some of these CDs we got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, like, the first two CDs that I owned were um, Nine Inch Nails and Mozart's Requiem. Oh, and good, I just listened to those two things because I didn't have anything else <laughs> for, like, weeks until I, you know, <laughs> got uh, some I had, music. Like, the Crow soundtrack, the Craft soundtrack, like, anything with the and then CR, I was a big fan of. So the yeah. Crow and the Craft. Um, was the Craft a little, like, was it a few years later? It was 96. So like, yeah, 90, Crow was 94, the craft was 96. Yeah. One but thing it was I very much the same the craft is that by the vibe. time the craft came out, I was, I want to say like 18 or 19 and I was working in a metaphysical bookstore and I, um, you know, had already figured out that I was a witch and, you know, had some experimentation under my belt. And then the craft came out and oh boy, there was like experience. this tidal wave of, you know, um, teenage, mostly girls, but teenagers of all stripes, um, you know, coming in, wanting to learn about witchcraft and me in my like 19 year old, 18 year old, whatever, however old I was, like I had, you know, a couple years of experience under my belt. And I was like, oh, these kids, they must have thought <laughs> you were so craftlings, cool. you know, we were like very snotty about it, which, you know, now from the perspective of I was literally 18, I had only like, maybe been aware of this stuff for a couple more years than them, like, shut up, <laughs> sit down, kid. <laughs> but yeah, uh, we were very snooty about it. <laughs> I I feel like you know we talked. I've talked about the craft on this show a lot, and talking about the crow. It's like I feel like it was very much sort of like required viewing for so many of us growing up as like witchlings in the nineties. Just yeah. not even if you were like, and I was like, I was not fully goth. I was goth like two out of five days of the week because I couldn't like be contained by one style. Like then I go to the Ren fair and then I would like, you know, wear something yeah. cute. And it's like you, but there was so little like 
again, these kids today don't, you know, with your 400 streaming shows, like, (laughs) right. When something came out that in some way represented you, you were like, well, you'd latch onto that thing. Yeah. And that's why like so many of these movies from that era and even like the eighties have like such a cult following because they were it. Like you couldn't, (laughs) there were, there weren't many movies about like resurrection and death and, and magic in that way. And so even movies that were like a weird or incomplete version of it. You're like, all right, this is, this is, this is what I've got. I don't have, yeah, you know, I feel like you're touching on this like tension that pagans and witches have with, um, you know, media depictions of, of witchcraft and magic and stuff. Like there's this weird tension that, that pops up every time, you know, like there's a show about witches Mm -hmm. where it's like, well, so this is fiction and it's not necessarily supposed to represent what actual witches do, but, you know, witches will be mad about it because it doesn't represent them. You know what I mean? Like, I remember like when Salem, isn't that what, there was a recent show? Oh yeah, there was a Salem show. I have not watched it because again, I was like, eh, but like a lot of people actually died in Salem. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so people were like, I feel like a lot of people in the witchcraft community were really annoyed by it because it's like, oh, well, it shows these witches to be like, they're very, you know, malevolent and, and, you know, doing horrible things and that's not us. And it's like, well, okay, but it's not actually supposed to represent you. It's, it's fiction dealing with this trope. Yeah. Um, which is distinct, you know, from <laughs> the actual community. But I feel like there's this, there's always this tension around that where like people, maybe because we don't see enough representation of what actual lived witchcraft looks like, we are identifying with these fictionalized versions and then upset that they don't actually represent us. Well, it's very much like also being queer in the 90s and early 2000s there was so little depiction of queerness uh I was just on a panel uh we can we could go about Xena and how like Uh Xena is like this it's like iconic quote-unquote queer show that was like huge and like for so many lesbians and queer women of the time but like there's no actual depiction of a queer relationship like you know it's very it's all by it's, coding it's, it's sub, just queer it's coding and subtext and, i mean it's yeah. hugely like neon sign like they're gay harold but they couldn't do it but like yeah. the shows that exist now exist because you know like push the boundaries yeah and but like that was what we had we only had like tar- like you know as a gay witchy woman like i only had willow rosenberg and that was like I'm like this is what we've got <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And so like we we've accept, you know, some flawed, inaccurate things. And as like a media witchy person, I would like to see, you know, some more depictions of like what it like an actual like modern witch living is like. What it actually is like. Which you Yeah, know, I appreciate that we are starting to move kind of closer to that direction. Um but also my feelings about like fictional witchcraft have shifted over time. Like I no longer yeah. feel as sensitive around that. So, you know, when I see like malevolent, you know, witches doing fantastical things that are not realistic, um, I can now kind of engage with that as fiction and be like, well, that is actually not about me. So I don't need to be yeah. upset by it. 
And mm-hmm. I think it's sort of interesting to, there, there's something to me interesting and appealing about the, you know, malevolent, super dangerous witch character uh, or, or theme, you know, like maybe, maybe I've just had enough of, of we're the person next door. We are harmless well, and safe. We would it, never hurt anyone. Like Because like, t- to be a witch, it is, you are, there is power there and power is scary to a lot of people and so that gets interpreted in fiction as like okay well they eat children or you know they're like literally maleficent yeah but that is kind of empowering as a viewer to be like look my power is so scary that they've made me into a monster on screen it's like yes children you should run away you don't know if i'll eat you or not (laughs) and so i think that there's a lot of nuance to it like that's the whole point of this podcast is there's like so many different depictions of witches and some of them can be it can be empowering even if it's inaccurate yeah I mean I think like it you know it's kind of the wellspring that some of this is really drinking from is this idea that is very rooted in you know witch folklore and Mm -hmm. shows up in like anthropological studies of of you know beliefs about witchcraft and that idea is that you know witch is somebody who is you know practicing magic but in an asocial way a way that is like not sanctioned by or controlled by the society in which they live yeah and um that's sort of that underlying theme there and to the extent that somebody is trying to be seen as not antisocial or, you know, is, is trying to be seen as like, oh no, we're just the people next door. We're, 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 you don't have to worry about us. Those narratives might might be trying to defang that, but if that's not how you feel about witchcraft, (laughs) what if, you know, what if your relationship to this is that like, yes, we actually, we actually are kind of trying to overthrow the, uh, Patriarchy order, like, you know, we are trying yeah. to subvert it. <laughs> like that, that, that has a certain greater I, appeal, I feel like. I think this happens a lot in like mythologies too, when people are like looking at mythology, you know, like like the Morrigan or like other gods or goddesses are like, oh well, you know, she's 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 a mother goddess. Or like, no, she's a, she's scary. <laughs> you know, scream so loud, she scares the other side in a battle. Yeah. Like, yeah. Those that they can fall aspects. dead from, from hearing her voice. But yeah. I think that's another reason why these powerful goddesses who have these darker quote unquote associations are being kind of getting so much, like, I guess I don't want to say like attention right now, mm-hmm. but like people are connecting with them in such a profound way right now because it taps into that our the dangerous aspect of our power. Yeah. Well, and there is, there is an element of like misogyny there where like, as soon as, and you see this in a lot of narratives um, in, in movies and stuff where when somebody becomes, when a, when a female or female coded character becomes powerful, that is often represented as like a shift into the dark side. Yeah. I mean, in the crow, one of the, only female character i mean sarah who's sort of this kid but then you have my yeah. character who is just like there to look hot and to kiss her brother and to like be like 
the one person using magic is like this evil deviant woman who gets her eyes pecked out. Like they, it's like, okay, why was yeah. that necessary? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's so nineties. Yeah. But you know, we're still seeing this. Like I remember some of these themes came up for me and in, in some, I'm trying to remember what superhero movie it was. Maybe I was thinking about this with like that sort of dark Phoenix thing where like, as mm-hmm. soon as, you know, Phoenix, the like yeah. X-Men character. Yeah, as soon as a woman gets too powerful. She yeah, as crazy. soon as she like fully accesses her power, well, now she's the dark Phoenix and we well, should all like be afraid of her. Daenerys on Game of Thrones. <laughs> she got too powerful with her dragons. And so she goes crazy in the last two episodes for like. Yeah. I'm still mad about that. It's a whole topic, that's isn't whole, it? Uh, that's a whole. <laughs> that's a whole episode like it just game of thrones just ended when they finished off the white walkers it's fine it was, there was no other episodes after that. dragons were fine it's fine jamie's fine yeah they they kind of i mean like daenerys you know her story had this whole aspect of like what if we looked at white savior complexes right <laughs> what yeah. if we looked at that like look I, how I, seductive this white savior idea is you're gonna love her and then whoops maybe that wasn't great but that doesn't mean that they had to do to her what they did to her yeah and i feel like i guess i'm trying to be spoiler free there (laughs) oh no it's fine we can spoil it because people don't need to watch it because it's bad but i think with like daenerys like one of the problems they had with daenerys and also i think this is a problem in like the latest star wars trilogy is like they didn't know where the story was going like george r R. martin hadn't finished it so like in the early seasons they like set daenerys up as this like heroic character who we love because they didn't really realize oh it's gonna go very badly at the end for her and so they right didn't and, and, the and martin enough. is doing something way more sophisticated in the books in yeah it's way telling he's yeah. trying to set us up to criticize these like medieval fantasy tropes that we get taken in by so easily mm-hmm. but the show was being made by these dude bros that actually are not operating on that level at all no, no they were like oh, rape is dramatic let's put more of it in yeah you know? yeah it's like that, that's a problem is that game of thrones is like so so rapey and Edge-lo- like it, do- it doesn't need Edge-lo-ty. to be yeah 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 and you're like you know bringing it back to the crow like it does start with like a woman getting like brutally raped and killed and like, but again, it, I think it tapped into that fantasy. It's like, well, you know, those people definitely do deserve to die violently and That's it taps into like you, like the desire because people like to see violence on screen, but like, okay, how about if these people really, really, really deserved it? <laughs> You're like, okay, yeah, it's you cool. know, he it's on fire. Like, cause he's a rapist. It's an interesting point. Like I definitely, as I have grown older and more conscious of like mm-hmm. feminism and, and, you know, my feelings about media and stuff, like I feel like if I watched it now and it started off with a whole rape like that, I'm, I would be mad about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, these days I'm like, I would like filmmakers to be really more critical about when do we actually need to see the rape? Yeah, I don't think. If, they, I mean, they, they if you're going to use much. it as a plot point, yeah. do we have to see it? There's a lot of like the filmmaking. I don't think is too like purient in the crow itself. Like I think they're very, it's very art artsy, artsy fartsy. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the director of the crow really hasn't. I mean, he did Dark City after this, and then mm, he did like mm-hmm. I Robot, but he hasn't had like a really big career. Like no yeah. one for, out of this movie ever got super big. Yeah. Yeah. The actress who played Sarah never 
wanted to work again after this movie because it was just a bit tra- like, tragic for her and Trump. Ernie Hudson's still out there being awesome. So the final thing I want to talk about is like, let's talk about Corvids and talk about crows themselves <laughs> because uh-huh. they're the best. So like, you know, explain to our listeners like why crows are so so associated with death. Because the one thing this movie starts off with is like, there's a myth that the crow carries the soul of the dead to the the soul of the land of the dead. I don't think that's a real myth. I think well, they made that up. Or is there any like basis? there are like so this this is a huge area of folklore yeah. because corvids there are corvids like on every continent, and you know they they are. Um, most corvids are carrion eaters yeah. or scavengers of some yeah. type. Some of them are sort of omnivorous, but like crows and ravens in particular tend to be, um, yeah, scavengers. They eat the dead. They show up around battlefields. So that's they show why up around battlefields. And so like many cultures have developed myths around them, associating them with death, um, associating them with um the other world or the other side or the spirit realm, you know, however their sort of cultural framework packages that and, uh, and, and often like with carrying souls to the other side. Um, those aren't the only themes you find in, in crow myths. Like um, I can't really speak for North American indigenous traditions, but you know, they, I've also seen stories that have more to do with like, you know, traveling to bring fire so that there can be a sun in the sky those kinds of things like stories about why it's black that actually don't necessarily have anything to do with yeah Yeah, raven is the one who brings the sun yeah and he's certainly in like european you know traditions um and folklore and myths there's there's often this this idea that they are connected with death and gods of death and with battlefields and and um, the transition points between this world and the other world. And corvids is like, especially ravens and crows as well, but like they're the most incredible birds. They're incredible animals. They're, they're social. They're yeah. like, they're smarter. Really than, smart. Like, very smarter than parrots. On, on the crow, the actual crow was of course played by a raven, which is kind of funny. Like there's uh-huh. no, cro- there's no crows in the crow. It's all a raven. There were five, <laughs> there were several different ravens on set. And the one that you see the most, his name is magic. And one of, the, one of the other crows, they couldn't use him in many shots because he kept talking because you can teach him to talk. Yeah. And so he kept like repeating the actor's lines. <laughs> so like, And which would have been, I think they should have had more talking with the bird would have been much more helpful to Eric to, for the bird to be like hey over that way but yeah. it would have kind of taken away from the gravitas of the movie I guess yeah they um, are really smart they have pretty advanced cognition um they hold grudges they can hold grudges they uh some corvids develop basic elements of language they have um tool making yeah. abilities and, and play too that's the coolest um, thing is they'll play with stuff yeah yeah, they're very yeah, they're they're fascinating animals and really adaptable. I think that's one of the reasons why they're so common. Like there's corvids everywhere because they are very very adaptable and they mm-hmm. um a lot of of corvids species like, you know, crows and ravens and jays and stuff like that, they they can um figure out how to live in human areas that some other wildlife are are not as adaptable to. Yeah, they're they're very much like they're one of those species kind of like cats and dogs and horses that have like evolved alongside humankind because like they found a way to exploit us basically like oh these humans leave a lot of trash around well thanks we'll take that and 
I wonder. Yeah, and, like, and that's part of why they have that sort of um, <laughs> association in, in uh, at least in European traditions of like being harbingers or like omens of, or bringing messages um, because like they would, they learn our, our patterns and, 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 you know, they would be seen like over a battlefield yeah. even before the battle because they know what's coming, right? Um, in Portland, Oregon, uh, near where I live, there's a lot of trees down by the river. And so a lot of crows roost mm-hmm. there. And I mean, a lot. <laughs> so if you get there at like twilight, there will be like literally thousands of crows sometimes, mm-hmm. like all swarming. And it is you know, you know, you're like, oh, now I know why Alfred Hitchcock probably saw this. Like, this is horrifying. Let's make a whole horror movie about this. But it's so like the cacophony of all these crows and just filling the sky. It's one of the coolest experiences to be down there. But it's also like, yeah. oh, well, better. I love this, that. You know, like the, when they do that massing sort of large, yeah. large social grouping behavior. Um, they just remind me of people sometimes. You know, yeah, and they're like, very social. They're as a as a, a Morrigan dedicant and somebody who kind of identifies with Corvids, like to me, it's really pleasing to know that like mm-hmm. wherever I go, there are crows, you know, I sort of, yeah. it feels like there's friends in, in every place. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Just living around where there are crows and always seeing them. One time I saw like a crow fighting with an eagle over like some carrying mm-hmm. and I think the eagle was losing because it was like the crows are just a bit smarter when it comes to like <laughs> strategery um yeah. and so that's just there I love crows and so that was one of the one of the reasons I started loving crows and ravens is because of this movie and just got really into like learning about crows yeah I just think they're very cool they're very fun they are yeah and so I think that's the last bit of like trivia I have about the crow. Oh no, there's actually one other piece. Okay. There's some weird trivia about the crow. There was actually a whole other character that was deleted from the movie. Really? It's called like this the skull cowboy or something. And he was actually like, because of criticism people make of especially the earthly half of the movie, is like, no one gives Eric any rules. <laughs> no one gives him like, hey, you're back from the dead. You know, if you're if you lose your bird, your powers go away and all this stuff. It's very show don't tell which is which works out well mm-hmm. but there used there initially was a character that like a think it was sort of like ghost writer sort of character this cowboy skeleton guy would show up and like told him why he's there and what's going on and it was uh, eventually re- eliminated from the movie because they're like wow you don't need it but yeah there was like because people you know i was watching like the cinema sins on the crowd they're like why how does he know this I'm like well there what fun fact there was it's supposed to have yeah it's a big part of the graphic novel as well so yeah do you think it do you think they'll ever make like remake this and how could we make it you know bring it into the 21st century or the 2020s if they ever do get to it because as you you know as we kind of established there's a lot of things that were great you know worked in the 90s that probably needs like stay in the 90s yeah well not the hair the hair was great like you said, I think it would be really interesting to have a female crow yeah. character if they have, did they, they didn't do that in any of the sequels. They did it in one of, they had a character in one of the uh, female crow in one of the, in the TV series. And mm, she was okay. like a side character that showed up, but they've never, and they've done it in some of the graphic novels, sequels, uh, but they've never done it in a, in one, in any of the movies. You know, if you read told the story where just Shelley came back instead of Eric, that would be a very different kind of uh-huh. cathartic 
thing to see a woman, you know, yeah, murdering her rapist. Like, okay, cool. Yeah, like it would be interesting, you know, for the the for her to have more agency there, you know. Yeah. Rather than like she just has to be avenged by the guy. Yeah, why she could like avenge herself. Come on. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, just you know, thinking about like the the sort of folkloric roots of that idea of of an unsettled spirit i i think it would be interesting to sort of see more of the bigger world behind yeah um these these you know basically ghosts coming back and and uh like you could you could you know expand that into like why are they crows and is there is there a deity behind you know yeah who are who are the powers behind this this supernatural oh, reality you know we talk we're talking about this this month because Samhain's coming up and yeah. this is set on you know devil's night and halloween though the timeline of the movie is kind of like what night is it because they were talking because it was devil's night and then they were talking about it and then there's trick-or-treaters but whatever <laughs> <laughs> it was again it was the 90s vaguely supernatural timing <laughs> but like this idea of like it's the night when you know the veil is thin and the dead come back and that's yeah. another thing that's like just strongly established and yeah folklore. there's so much tradition around that and i think i feel like there's sort of this um this feeling or this sort of cultural sense about about halloween as being like this time when anything could happen exactly yeah you know and and not even necessarily from a folklore perspective but just like as as an american you know person who grew up doing halloween yeah no like some of my favorite childhood memories are from halloween and there's a certain like feeling you would get as dusk is falling and you're out and about in a way that you're normally not you're masked you don't look like yourself there's you know there's there's lights and 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 torches and candles everywhere and and um there's mischief like this you yeah. hear the sounds of mischief yeah devil's night is know? also mischief night it's a it's a thing it's a yeah you know? like the thing that really imprinted that i really imprinted on early with halloween was this feeling of like permissiveness or, mm-hmm. or possibility like the there was just so much possibility in that night like anything could happen like yeah you just it's one of those things where there's so much you know Every if when everyone is thinking about something in the same way, it creates this atmosphere. It's that psychic. Every, if, yeah. if everyone's kind of agreeing that this is our wild night, it's in the air. Yeah, it's like everyone's got their energy focused on the same thing. Yeah, and from a spiritual perspective, I think that like you know people wouldn't in in the sort of non pagan overculture wouldn't necessarily think of it this way, but there there is a sense in which like. I, I would see that time as being one when the spirits are extra active and have yeah. more access to our mm-hmm. reality than they do at a lot of other times. And I also think that, you know, you have a lot of young people running around in a heightened state of excitement. They've they've taken steps to shift out of their ordinary identity by, you know, masking or, or putting on a costume. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a level of like altered consciousness from, from just that excitement and shifting of, of your normal behaviors and stepping out of your identity. And, and like, I, I feel like 
there's a level of the spirits are kind of just they feel it like when gathering we all, you know among yeah. people and 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 maybe possessing them a little bit yeah and it's also <laughs> it's such a liminal time because yes it's between, it's between it's the twilight of the year really it's when the light is kind of we've we've gone past the light time of year and it is becoming this dark and you're out after dark in a time of year yeah. you usually aren't out yep. after dark and and I'm, and the um the parameters of day and night are rapidly shifting yeah you know like that's that's when you feel mm-hmm. it changing really quickly yeah it's so i love love spooky season i just you know yes <laughs> It's, it's, it's the, the best. best. It's so fun. I turn into kind of a, an enthusiastic child around. Oh yeah. I'm so um, excited. I Halloween had stuff. This is one of the reasons I had a child is just so I could like have an excuse to be fully, you know, commit to Halloween. Yeah. Um, and sharing this, all this traditions with my child has been so great because she loves trick-or-treating and she loves all the witchy things and she and loves you kind of fall in love with them all over again yeah. you get to share them with someone and like <laughs> and especially like because we make an ancestor altar mm-hmm. and we kind of talk about our ancestors and talk about like the dead are visiting and that sort of thing and I think it's she really gets excited about it yeah. and she's like last year she's like Right before she said, Oh, our ancestors are probably packing their bags to come visit us. Like, I'm so I love that. That's so like, sweet. Yes, exactly. And um, this year, you'll appreciate this because yeah, I know you also enjoy wolves. Um, we talk about how our corgi, Marlon, he's like, Did we say, Oh, yes, he's a noble descendant of the wolf? I mean, <laughs> corgis are just kind of like you take a wolf head and then shrink the body in some weird ways and it's a, put, a, put a rabbit rear end on yeah, it. it. Put it in a log. <laughs> It's like a log with a wolf head. <laughs> it's a rabbit. Um, and she's like, oh, you know, we should invite Marlon's parents to visit for, for Selwyn. Oh. She's like, well, we don't have any pictures. And I'm like, well, you could draw a picture of some wolves. And she's like, I'm not good at drawing wolves yet. So, but oh, maybe she'll draw that's some so sweet. pictures. I'm like, oh. That's so sweet. I love that. <laughs> yes. We can talk about corgis as, because corgis are great. There's like, you know, fairy folklore. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Corgis. I think they're definitely corgis are half in the other world because they can't quite reach all the way to our world. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, there's this Welsh witch, Mara Starling. I think oh, I'm yeah. pronouncing her name right. And um, she has like a YouTube channel and stuff, or maybe TikTok. <laughs> I'm so yeah, old. I think she's on YouTube, yeah. <laughs> anyway, she um, was going to be doing a video about corgi folk. <gasps> oh my God. Because you know they are they are Welsh and they yeah. they do have traditions around them. Although I think the whole like you know official mm-hmm. breed myth that talks about the the being ridden by fairies that might be more modern. But anyway, but whatever. we, we have fabulous. to see what she like, has to say about it because she was going to explain all that stuff. Yeah, they're just the best dogs. Um, as, as you know, yeah, we definitely should have a sequel to The Crow called The Corgi. <laughs> <laughs> um, that'd be a very different movie. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> um, I'm very excited for ca- the new Cowboy Bebop series coming up because there's a corgi. There's a corgi. Important. Yeah, I just got turned on to to that whole series. So, um, but they are the best dogs. Um, yeah, all dogs yeah. are. The, every dog is the best dog. All dogs are good dogs, but corgis are amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Um, so uh, we probably like reach the end of our time unfortunately so where can people find you and your work you have are you working on any new things right now you can talk about so um 
the place to find me is my website, bansheearts.com. And I am on, you know, Instagram and Twitter and stuff like that. And you can find that from my website. Um, and I do have a Patreon where I am finishing up um, work on a book on Celtic magic and sorcery. And um, so my, my draft so. material gets posted to uh, to Patreon and I'm almost finished with that book and I actually do have a contract um, but I didn't discuss with my publisher yet whether like there's a timeline for when I can say who's publishing it so <laughs> oh, I'm, we're just excited it's happening but yeah sometime in the next um, year or two that should be out oh, yeah um, and you're on your on Twitter at Morpheus Ravenna Morpheus right? Ravenna yeah awesome yeah and you also like if people want some of your art on their body yes so my day job my 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 main gig um (laughs) is as a tattoo artist and um i specialize in you know ritual and sacred tattoos but i also work with all kinds of clients um and i'm currently working out of a space in berkeley and you can find out all about that on my website too yeah I, i will confess that i've been like can i like justify like going to berkeley to get a tattoo yeah yeah come down awesome i'm like it's only a few it's like a two-hour flight it's fine like um i used to live in san francisco but not anymore (laughs) but yeah well thank you so much for thanks for having me this is really fun we already talked about what we're going to get you on next time we're going to talk about wolf walkers which is a fantastic movie and again one of my you won't be able to stop me i i'm um Later this fall, I'm doing a talk at my friend uh, Vivian's uh, conference with Lancy Sky um, about uh, wolf, uh, werewolf mythology and wolf shifting mythology. So oh. I will have all of my material, like my ducks will be in a row. <laughs> I'm so excited. So we will definitely <laughs> talk wolf walkers, which if you, for those listeners that haven't seen it, go on Apple when you're done watching Ted Lasso. If you still have your Apple TV subscription, <laughs> go on watch Wolf Walkers because it's, it's, it's so good. There, yeah, it's really a great movie. It's yeah, it's, it's a beautiful movie. And it's like it's hand-drawn animation, which you don't see as much anymore. Yeah, it's um Cartoon Saloon, which is this really unique Irish animation studio. They did the Book of Kells. They did the Book and... of Kells and they did Song of the Sea. And their okay, style is those. really unique them. and fantastic and just gorgeous. And um, all of it is very rooted in the, the Irish uh, folklore tradition about, about wolf shapeshifters. So after you Good. listen to this podcast, <laughs> do not go watch the Crow sequels because they are bad, but do go watch <laughs> Wolf Walkers. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been so fun. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Real Magic. If you like the podcast, please make sure to subscribe, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, or leave a review. That really helps people find the podcast. You can recommend it to your friends, and you can follow us on Twitter at Real Magic Pod. If you like me and my work, you can find me on Twitter also. I'm there as Fangirling Jess. And if you really like my work and want to hear me talk about supernatural for a really long time you can buy my book that's out now Uh, it's only out in digital right now we're having some issues with some paperback printing thank you covid and global supply chain issues but you can download the digital version of the binge watcher's guide to supernatural i will put the link to the link tree for all the different ways to get it in the episode description 
but I put a lot of work into this book and if you like Supernatural, you'll like it and if you've never watched the show, it's the perfect companion to the first time watching it. So I hope you all have a blessed and wonderful Samhain and continue to be safe out there and remember, it can't rain all the time. Goodbye. Bye bye. Goodbye, cruel world. Bye bye, cruel world. Goodbye to life. Bye bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, goodbye to all. <laughs>